Welcome to In Light of the Gospel, episode 26. In this episode, I get the opportunity to do something that's kind of rare. Usually, you don't sit down with your nephew and hear about his faith. I don't know, maybe you're different than I am, but I don't typically sit down with my nieces or nephews and ask them about how they came to Christ, uh, about their issues that they have faced, their tragedy, their suffering, their addictions. And I got to do that with Jeremy, and it was a real blessing to, to do that. I had been in Windsor for a job that I was doing, and he lives closer to that area. And he came over, and we sat down in the hotel together and discussed his life. And it was very informative to me. Hopefully, it's a blessing to you. Those of you that know Jeremy and his dad, Aaron, and some of the issues that they've faced as a family, I think you'll be very blessed by the story. And um, it's uh, it's neat to see how he came through um, through the suffering of losing his mom, through this, the difficulty of being infertile as a young couple, and then uh, adoption of their little boy, Jackson. And also, one of the things that probably struck me the most was his freedom from the addiction, yes, addiction, of cell phone use. I hope you stick around to hear the whole thing and uh, are very blessed by the story. Thank you again for tuning in. God bless you. Here we are sitting in Windsor doing a job and Jeremy stops by with a coffee, so this is kind of handy. Jeremy is my nephew. Uh, I'll have an intro for you as well. I'm sure everybody will hear that. But uh, Pre-recorded. Yeah. So you were born in 94, we just talked about. Yeah. Makes you 28 years old. That's crazy. You're like, I remember being 30. 30 was like, I felt like that's, that's like a legitimate man. I mean, you're a man already at your early 20s or whatever, right? But... Nobody You're, takes you seriously as a young twenty no, something now. That's I think right. I think I've said thirty is like the new twenty. Yeah. So can't wait for thirty. There you go. And also to me the, the number thirty always made a big deal. It was a big deal to me because Jesus started his ministry at thirty. Okay, yeah. And then at thirty three he was crucified, right? So that's like I mean, as serious of a man as there could be. He was criticized for being too young. Right. You know, because uh, he said, um, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and they said how have you seen Abraham you're not even 50 years old so that it seems to be that there was kind of a criticism of anybody who was claiming to be a teacher or a doctor that wasn't even 50 years old right so he was still criticized for being young but 30 is like a you know a mature stable man that's hopefully got a family and is got well underway. life sort of figured out sort of hopefully started, you started you know? your career <laughs> yeah that's right yeah but obviously in our culture now it's getting more and more where 30 is just getting started, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't have kids till 30, 35, and or, you know, women are finally realizing, oh, shoot, if I don't have children, it's going to be too late, right? Yeah. So, but uh, obviously I've known you since you were a kid. I remember changing Jamie's diaper, so I'm old enough to have changed your diaper, <laughs> even though I'm only 12 years older than you. Um, but you were born in the Elmer area. Yeah, born in St. Thomas. Yeah. And uh, oldest, my oldest nephew... Oldest of all the grandkids. No, Rachel's Rachel's a little bit older, sorry. Yeah, she was born in February, I think. Yes, February and then uh, September. Uh, August. August. So you just had your birthday. Yeah, the 30th. There you go. Anyway, tell us what it was like growing up under Aaron Blatz's tutelage. (laughs) Um, What do you want to know? What were you like? Were you you shy? Were you private? Were you Um, rambunctious? I had a problem finding my spot. Yeah. In the world. Tyler was a little more dominant. Tyler Tyler was, yeah, a little more like a social butterfly. People gravitated to gravitated him. Gravitated to him. He, he made friends easily. 
I found like I found out found myself to be a little awkward. Hmm. Even very young. Yeah. Um, especially like thirteen. That's a difficult age, right? Yeah. Like thirteen through like high school. I don't, don't think I really settled into who I was going to be until I was a couple of years into the workforce. So like eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, growing up, you and, you and him were like almost twins, right? You're very similar in age. Yeah. Always out riding dirt bikes or bikes or playing in the yard and stuff. Tyler was not so apt to the motorized vehicles. Okay. Um, but I, I loved it. Like, as soon as I was able to get on a pit bike, I was out there. I remember when you guys, lived in, you guys lived in Elmer there, just uh, east, no, west in, in Elmer. Yeah. Um, you guys had a pretty big backyard. Your yeah. dad had the three-wheeler. and, and uh, He had a DS650 at that point. That's right. A huge yeah. DS650. That thing was so big. It was fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he built like a big oval in the and backyard. You guys had that little mini bike. Yeah. And he built, he took like some big clay pipe and laid it in the middle of the track and put dirt over it. And that was my first jump. You actually got some air. Oh, yeah. 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 So mostly childhood memories are really fond memories. Yeah. And... Yeah. I mean, like... Brian was five years younger than me, so he didn't fit in quite as easily, but Tyler and I were like the best friends growing up. Yeah. We got into a little bit of trouble together. <laughs> we fought a lot. Yeah. Fought, but at the same time, thicker than thieves, right? Like just yeah. close. Yeah. I, I know, know Hallie and Audrey are like a year and nine months apart and they're always together. And then Megan is, is younger than Ezra, so there's a bit of a gap there. And so then she... I mean, they like her just fine, but she doesn't quite fit with them sometimes. Yeah. And she also doesn't fit with the younger kids, right? So yeah, it, it balances out. Yeah. Like now, Brian and I. Are, yeah, that's you, like you don't. Even, I don't even remember that he's five years younger than me. Yeah. I think he's like two years younger than me. I've been trying to tell tell my kids every now and then, like the people who are now your closest people in life, maybe sometimes even the siblings you're closest to, might not be that at all. You know, like yeah. when you're growing up, all of a sudden the friends you had that you thought well, you'd always be close friends with, they, like you never see them anymore, right? And you got yeah. Yeah. a whole the, new set. And it happens quickly. Yeah. Like, I, I hung out in Leamington a lot when I was a teenager because that's just where the friends lived. Right. Um, so you guys went from Elmer to, to uh, yeah. Wheatley. Your dad took a job at the school, yeah. the old colony school. And then you spent your teenage years in, in uh, Wheatley in Leamington. Yeah. Uh, I never actually lived in Leamington. Right. But that's where everybody hung out. Yeah. So, But I spent a lot of time there. And it happens so quickly that you get separated from the friends you grew up with because you stop going to the youth group uh, when you get married and move out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's just like the f whole friends change. Yeah. Like everybody I hung out with in youth group, I think there's one person I see pretty regularly from that time of my life, but everyone else I don't ever see. That's weird. Um, Willie Simons and I, we were like, you know, inseparable all from, from the, we've got pictures of us together in diapers. I was in his wedding. He was a part of my wedding. It was like, we were always together until the time we were 18, 19 years old. And then I got married a little before he did. He became a Christian and so I just kind of backed off and I wasn't interested in what he was about. And he was going to a different church now. And then he, he got married and I became a Christian and we got together a couple times. But our wives didn't immediately click or maybe our just our 
the stage of life we were at just wasn't quite compatible. So for like 15 plus years, we very rarely saw each other. It was weird because we were like best friends and we still, every time we saw each other, it felt like, you know, this is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And yet we didn't see each other. Now he moved around the corner from us and we started working out together a little bit. And now we see each other, you know, fairly regularly. Our kids get along great. Our wives get along great. So it's, it's neat that it's come back around, but full circle. Yeah. <laughs> All that to say, life changes so drastically, so sharply sometimes that it's, uh, it's interesting looking back on. But while it's happening, it's just, it's like a whirlwind, right? Yeah. So teenage years in Leamington. Yeah. And then we got married and um, Emily was going to school in Chatham. And I was working in Leamington at the time. So we bought a house smack dab in the middle in Tilbury. Yeah. And then jobs changed and I stopped going to Leamington except to see my parents. So you rarely see those people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you grew up mostly going to Old Colony until you were well into your teens, right? Um, I was going into the seventh grade. When dad got let go from the old oh, so then school. Probably so like 12, 13. 12, 13, I, we started going to uh, uh, an EMC church. Right. So do you remember what, or did you not think about it? What was your view of who God is at a very early age? Yeah, that, I don't think I Didn't really, really consider thought it? that much. I wasn't very philosophical. Okay. Were you familiar with scriptures, the Bible stories? Were yeah. Pretty? Yeah, we grew up in the, the Christian school, so... Bible was a course that you had to take. Yeah. It was mandatory. So I thought I was pretty well versed in the in the stories and But it didn't really stimulate you, it didn't excite you, it wasn't Well, I knew I knew that I needed a savior and I got I asked Jesus into my heart when I was like eight years old. No, it was probably more like ten. Really? But, At but an it, old colony school. Yeah. But it didn't really come alive even I would say probably only came like fully alive in the last maybe even two years really it's it feels pretty recent even though i I had all the head knowledge one of the things that i often preach is that there's nowhere in the bible that it says anything about asking jesus into your heart right it's it's only when you recognize a desperate need for a savior you know how awful you are and how far 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 lost you are that you finally look to the cross and you're like oh that's my salvation and it's not, you're not asking him to do something for you. You're not asking or welcoming him in necessarily. You're just recognizing that what he did on the cross was for me at this moment, right? And then that's when it becomes real. That's real genuine faith to me is when mm. someone actually recognizes it and realizes it and says, okay, that's what's valuable about what Christ did. As a seven, eight-year-old kid, there's some people that I know that have genuinely gotten saved at a very young age. Usually it's just going through the motions, you know, that that's the right thing to do. I was kind of afraid to die, so why not, yeah. right? But as far as genuinely feeling the need and knowing the need for a Savior, how, how would you know that very clearly at eight yeah. years old, right? Yeah. So then would you, when you think back to your testimony, if you were to share your testimony somewhere publicly, when would you say you got saved? Would you say early at like seven, eight years old or would you? I would say, yeah, like... 10-ish okay. and then I got baptized at 16 yeah um, but yeah like the the passion was a later in life yeah I would say mid-20s probably somewhere around nice. so when you were going through your teenage years and you were I remember when you got baptized I remember that day pretty clearly you were um, 
you were part of a youth group, part of a church that actually preached the gospel and yep. all that kind of stuff. And then it was it was becoming more real, but it wasn't like a, a passion for you, really. Right. Well, you, you didn't say you didn't get into trouble and stuff, though, really, did you? I didn't. I didn't party. I didn't do any no of that. No drinking, smoking, stealing, nothing like that. Eh? Well, no, my my sin that I fell into earlier was pornography, and I would, you probably if you looked at like look the content I looked at, you would say, oh, that's pretty mild. Yeah. But it was still, well, was still I, my sin. I was going to say, as a teenage boy, all you need is a Sears catalog, right? Yeah. It doesn't take yeah, much. That's exactly it. So that that was that happened pretty early on. Yeah. Even without the internet readily accessible. Um, yeah, it started with the catalog, but we did have internet at the time, so. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing how, how quickly that, how pervasive it is, right? Mm -hmm. I've tried to balance that trying to think about how do I teach my boys. My boy is now 15, Ezra, and he's strong and stable and he's doing well. I keep talking about him on a podcast. He's going to be annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you teach them that the drive is good? You know, mm -hmm. the fact that you have this hunger for women and you want to see them, that's perfect. There's nothing sinful about that. That's something God gave you. You know, like as soon as Adam saw Eve, he's like, nah, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like he knew this is exciting. This mm -hmm. is something to be thrilled about. But in its proper place, in the proper context, it's perfectly good and beautiful. It's undefiled, the Bible says, right? The yeah. marriage bed is undefiled, but it's supposed to be kept for a certain time, a certain person, and in the right context. And then it can flourish and become a really beautiful thing, right? Yeah. But it's amazing and now, especially everybody's got these things within reach and it's it's always there, right? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been had you been carrying one of those things around? Uh, no, I can't imagine. I don't even want to think about it. Like a pastor that we are, that a church that we used to go to, the pastor said, handing your teenager or child uh, an, un, like an unlocked cell phone with no like restrictions on it is the same as handing them Playboy. Or worse. Or worse. Playboy is very mild, yeah. right, from what I've heard. Yeah, that's... And that that just... It's such a secretive thing, too, right? Mm -hmm. I know they, sometimes they throw statistics around and you, you hear like 90%, 95% of boys that struggle with it have gone into it and, and that you are exposed to it at age 10 or 12 or 6 or 8 or some crazy thing, right? Yeah, so, it's getting younger and younger with the Well, internet. it's everywhere now, yeah. yeah. So how, how to guard against it without, um, I don't know if you've heard a lot, a lot of podcasters and, and Instagram influencers and all that kind of stuff, they're constantly speaking very negatively about purity culture. Do you remember that? Mm, yeah. So like when you were a kid, probably, maybe it was more like when I was, I would have been dating. So back in like the late 90s and early 2000s, purity culture, the church was a huge thing. So yeah. everybody was like, you know, get a purity ring, stay pure, stay pure, stay pure. And it puts so much pressure on young people to try desperately to stay pure that all they could think about was sex you know and it's like that's that's you know to wet paint don't touch everybody yeah, wants to touch it right and so how do you make sure that people stay away from it without obsessing over it right right so do you have a plan now that you've got a young boy i don't have a plan <laughs> i was hoping you give me your plan <laughs> and i just copy it there you go um what what finally freed you from the grip of it um so dad found out pretty early it's hard to hide that from it's, dad. it's pretty hard to hide that especially when you don't know how a browser history works yeah um 
so he found out pretty quickly and then it was it was mostly like the fear of him finding out that I slipped up that kept me on the straight and narrow there you go that's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing and it definitely was helpful as a child but once you move out yeah you're not, not it's not really getting the root of the problem right? yeah so like I struggled with it early in our marriage and it caused a huge problem obviously mm. um, but I think what really helps is just a recognizing that I'm a sinner and I need grace and then B being open about it okay like it's such a secretive dirty thing that you if you keep it there it can fester and grow but if you let someone into it and i let my wife into it that's so counterintuitive it was so hard yeah because you you're betraying her yeah and then you're telling her yeah yeah and i'm i struggle with that too because sometimes guys will be tempted to look at things and then they go tell their wife that they were tempted. And I'm like, don't, don't tell your wife every time you face a temptation. <laughs> if you've sinned and you're in, in the thick of it and you don't know how to get out, of course you need to tell your wife. But temptation is temptation. Like you, you're going to face it even yeah. when you've been free for 10, 15, 20 years. You're still going to have temptations to look at it. Yeah. Resist it or you know, flee from it, all that kind of stuff. If you're sinning, you've got to confess it. Mm-hmm. But it's so counterintuitive because you think... Now, if I confess it, it's going to ruin everything. Everything is going to, everybody's going to be hurt. There's going to be so much baggage that I have to undo. But that's the only way to genuinely be free from it. Yeah, yeah. And then I started going to a Thursday morning prayer and Bible reading. Okay. And where everyone's open about the struggles they have and the temptations they face, and what they need help with in life. And I found that to be hugely beneficial. Okay. And there was there was others there struggling with the same types of things. Yeah, and other things. So hearing that others were struggling, how did that help? I think like just knowing that you're not alone is huge. Mm-hmm. Like you've got these brothers you can lean on. Because some sometimes I hear guys that just go to meetings like that over and over and over again. And they, they find comfort in the fact that, okay, at least I'm not the only one doing this, oh, right? Oh, and it gives them and license. And just keep doing it. No. Because everybody's doing it, right? And this is where we get together and we all agree that, yeah, we should do better, but well, we just got to keep doing it. No, our, our pastor leads it and he's, he's got, like, practical advice. Okay. And it's, it's more than just an AA meeting where you go out and... Hi, my name is Jeremy yeah. and I'm a sinner. Yeah, exactly. That's... It's not like that. Okay. We, we hold each other accountable and we are nice. open about what we struggle with. So you said earlier that uh, your mid-20s or so was when the gospel started to really penetrate and became more alive, as I think it was the words you mm-hmm. used, right? What, what was the cause of that? I think I had a hunger for it. Um, so going... You were going, married for a few years Yeah. Now. Going to a Christian school, I thought I like knew the whole Bible. And then my wife, Emily, went to public school um, and didn't know the Bible as well. So she started asking questions and the, I could answer a lot of them until she started getting more knowledge than I had. <laughs> she studied a lot. She studied so hard that she Did she get saved me. at a younger age? I don't know when she would say she got saved. I never actually asked her. Okay. 
maybe I'll have, to have that conversation. Um, but she got baptized uh, while we were dating, so she would have been 17, I think. Okay. But then after you got married, she started really digging into the yeah. scriptures. And, and she had questions, and I had answers, and then, and and then I didn't. She, didn't. she didn't have the answers. She was doing, like, um, I remember she did an Instagram post where she had painted in her Bible and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, like she did show. a lot of Bible journaling. Yeah. Now, it wasn't just for show for Instagram. She was genuinely reading and studying yeah. and searching the scriptures. Yeah. And so, yeah, that kind of sparked a little bit in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a lot of different things happened in life that contributed. I would say the church that we started going to, um, the struggles that we went through, it all pointed me in that direction. Um, the pod- podcast title is our name is in light of the gospel Mm -hmm. Uh, my theme throughout all my preaching and teaching and discussions that i do is always the cross the cross the cross the cross christ did the work for us right can you can you think back to a time when the cross finally became paramount where it was like that's where the truth is that's where the answers are or is that too tricky to pinpoint yeah i can't pinpoint like a specific moment it's just like a gradual realization i think yeah because i always knew that but knowing and yeah see for me the cross was something i was aware of and the fact that jesus had died was obvious where you know we were mennonites we we knew that Mm -hmm. the gospel meant something or the cross meant something but what significance it had never even crossed my mind when when it was finally revealed to me and they were the preacher was preaching that you know, when Christ was beaten more than any man, the Bible says he was marred more than any man, not beaten, marred more than any man. And you, you get the picture that he was unrecognizable, like his mm-hmm. face was marred, his body was marred. There's one passage in Psalm 22 where it says that I may tell my all my bones. So you picture him looking down at his body and the skin, skin is torn from his flesh to the point where he can actually count his bones. And he, you know, ble- bleeding from head down to toe, you know, blood running everywhere from the crown of thorns and the cat of nine tails on his back and then nailed to the cross and just on and on this preacher painted a picture of Christ suffering for me that I had never seen before. And then it, then he finally flipped it on me where I, it finally registered. He's like, that should have been you. I'm like, oh, that's what it's about. He says, you ought to have taken that punishment. That punishment that he got is what God thinks about sinners. That's what you deserved right there. And I'm like, what in the world? I had never seen this before. And, you know, he took your place. He took your sin, went to the cross for you. He laid down his righteousness to give to you so you can go to heaven, right? And this had never been explained to me. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks where I'm like, that that actually has significance now. Because mm-hmm. I've been dealing with my sin for years. Praying, confessing, asking God forgiveness, and then maybe not asking forgiveness for many years because I knew I was going to keep doing that sin. So I may as well wait till I stop. And then I'll ask forgiveness once instead of asking repeatedly, right? Like just playing in my mind how to deal with sin. And then all of a sudden I could get off the treadmill. It's like this treadmill of trying to pray forgiveness, ask forgiveness, confess my sins, do some good deed, prayer, prayer, do something to confess and open up my sin, right? And then recognizing that the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to take away my sins and that all my sin was placed on him. It was like, that's it. I I didn't even know I was born again. Until about a month later, I, I pointed back to that day. I'm like, that's when I, I got it. That's when the weight was lifted off. That's when my mind stopped dealing with 
how do I get forgiveness to how do I share this with somebody else? You know, how do I tell Uncle Neil and Uncle Joe? And how do I how do I get them to understand the gospel? Because my sin is gone. You know, it, the cross. You know, uh, Paul says in Galatians that um, Jesus Christ, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now the Galatians, they were far from Jerusalem; they didn't see Jesus, right? But he said Jesus was crucified among you. So I picture Paul coming into Galatia, preaching the gospel in such a way where they finally saw Jesus hanging, bloody, beaten, bruised, and then Paul would say, it was for you. It was because of your sin. And so in, in my mind's eye, I saw Christ crucified for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's it. That's where salvation comes from. Now, I drifted from that many times, and I've had, you know, I went to a very religious church for a while and got caught up in legalism and all that, but I've kept coming back to that. Now, the last 15 or 18, 15, 16 years, I guess, I've been very focused on the gospel, and I'm sure I've drifted in things like that too, but it's it's cross. It's the cross. I'm almost preaching a sermon here now. Paul, <laughs> Paul says near the end of his life, he says, I glory in nothing save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world, right? So that's why it's all about the cross. And that's where I get freedom from sin, freedom from pornography, freedom from you know overeating, freedom from all kinds of stuff, right? Right. So... So you've been married how many years now? Shift gears a little bit. Seven and a half, closing in on eight. Okay. April will be eight. Your wife is Emily, what was her last name? Uh, her maiden name was Clausen. Clausen, that's right, of course. And she's been good for you. Very good. You, yeah. Best uh, friend. That's awesome. She seems like she's proper for you. Mm-hmm. And obviously promote, provoked you to uh, <laughs> to more faith and more searching of the scriptures. Yeah, definitely. You guys jumped around churches a little bit after you got married? Yeah, after we got married, um, we attended the, the church we got married in for a while. And then there was like a few of the people in leadership decided they wanted to accuse some families of some things. It was a big things. mess of things, it was, yeah. There was a mess. I got accused of some things, so my whole family left like we were all going to the same church and we all left at the same time and now you're kind of scattered now we're yeah <laughs> a little scattered um but then we we didn't go to church for a while because we didn't know where to go um we tried a couple of places for a couple of sundays yeah nothing really felt right um went to harvest in windsor for yep. a while um felt pretty homey there um, but it was mo- a pretty big group. Too. It was huge. Um, the only, I think, the thing that helped us feel like we belonged there was small groups. Um, but then it just became too much when I took a job in Chatham, and we sold our house in Tilbury. It was just too much driving to go to the the small groups and the church yeah. and the evenings activities and whatever. So we decided that we were gonna look elsewhere and let that church know and didn't really know where to go um, but one of my co-workers told me hey you got to come to Maple City Baptist like you can't you can't that's be in Tilbury uh, it's in Chatham Chatham yeah it's like you can't you can't serve and you can't get plugged in if you're 45 minutes to an hour away and then she had a co-worker that was also saying come to Maple City Baptist nice so we tried it and we haven't gone anywhere since. It was a smaller group and all smaller that. Smaller group. It's grown now, but yeah, it was, it had that small 
community Church, feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've gotten, like, we, we've we met a lot of people, established good friendships, and that's mm-hmm. that's where the roots are. All right on. And you're serving there at all? Yeah. We're members and serving now. What do you do? Um, so, so Emily and I do, um, I do the soundboard uh, on occasion, and then she'll do the, the slides sitting right next to me. Um, we do the nursery every once in a while. We also do that together. Uh, and then greeting and worship. Mm-hmm. So we try to get in everywhere, I guess. There you go. <laughs> and it's a joy to serve? Yeah, we love it. Yeah, we've told them they can plug us in every Sunday as long as they keep us together. There you go. Right on. Very cool. Well, your story, for me, goes back further than you. Yep. Always goes back to your dad and your mom. I remember my dad, was, your dad rather, was uh, like 16 years old when he started dating your mom. And uh, they got married two weeks after he turned 18, which is just crazy. Now, especially now when I see 18-year-old, Audrey is turning 18 in March. And I'm like, she's pretty mature. Like, I think she could handle being married. But it's, man, for a young boy to be married at 18 seemed crazy. But he, to me, I was, I was looking up to him. He was whatever, eight years older than me, maybe something like that mm-hmm. and he seemed like a grown man to me I hadn't I didn't know any different right yep and uh, yeah Lisa came around she had her big 1980s hair with the big poof we always made fun of her that she had stuck her finger in a light socket <laughs> that was the style on the 90s right and yep. she stuck around with it a little bit longer than but anyway yeah she became a part of our family it was like I had never had a sister before Mary my brother George married Mary and then Aaron and Lisa at the same time so all of a sudden, we had these two two women that were constantly around, and it was just different to see my, bro- my brothers with, with women, right? And um, they always looked happy. I remember the living in the trailer park. Do you remember living in the trailer park or not? I do. Vaguely. Yeah. Uh, most of my memories are on my bicycle. Yeah. From there. So, yeah, they got, I mean, they got married very early, and they moved to the trailer park, and they did all kinds of moving around for a while, too. They did the, the turkey farm and... and uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I remember several things from there, too, that three-wheelers and the you boys sleeping on your dad when he comes home from break, or there's a picture of that kind of stuff, right? Comes home for break, and you guys are sleeping on him. But just a, a very, you know, Lisa and I, my wife Lisa now, that's Lisa number three. <laughs> it was always tricky. Lisa Blatz, Lisa Blatz, Lisa Blatz. Um, we've been married for 20 years now. And your parents were married 25 years when your mom died. And uh, just, it's so, so strange. Like, I've never had someone so close to me pass away, right? Um, she, she took me on my, when I was 16, she took me to London to do my drive test. And um, we're driving along and I come to a stop and just one of those, you know, the jerking stops. She's like, what you want to do is, you know, just as you're about to stop, lift your foot a little bit. And it's like, oh, common sense, obviously, mm-hmm. right? But just little things I remember of her. And uh, I don't know. It just, it's weird that she's not here. I didn't know she was cool until she drove stick shift for the first time in front of me. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, my mom's she cool. She can drive stick. Yeah. How cool is that? What do you want to say about your mom? Still just as raw as ever. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It might be too much, eh?
Yeah, we still miss her. Yeah. She was, I mean, she was a young, young, pretty woman still, right? Like, it doesn't seem right or appropriate. But um, there was a lot of beauty in that. Maybe it's hard to see that from this standpoint, right? But the uh, the song that made became the theme of that week or two, you know, when your mom and dad were down in Mexico and all that. It's maybe a little much to talk about, but it was just... You can talk as much as you want. As as I don't have to try to talk through tears. Yeah, no, it's good. Just, it made me realize that the gospel isn't just words. You know, there was a an absolute confident expectation. To me, that's a definition of hope. A confident expectation that even if you do not heal my wife, you know, from your brother, Aaron, I'm going to praise you anyway. There, I know I'm going to see her again. I know we've got resurrection coming. I know that there's a purpose beyond what I can fathom right now at this point in time. And the cross means something. You know, what you did on the cross, Christ, did something for us, right? And so even to the last last couple hours, your, your mom had that confidence, that, that joy, that peace, knowing that she was resting and trusting in Christ, right? Yeah. I went into the... Uh, the room after she was in the hospital and asked her what her favorite passage of scripture was in John chapter 3 so I, I, I didn't know what to do I'd never been at a, at a bedside where someone is losing their life and slipping into eternity right so I read John chapter 3 to her I have no idea if it impacted her or if it helped her or whatever but she she was grateful for it right and uh, yeah we have a lot of fond memories of that go way back from like when I was a kid, she was there. So it was almost like a sister to me. Yeah. How how did that? How does that translate now? In what regard? Um, confidence. The scriptures, Christ, the gospel. I'd say it makes me look forward to eternity more. Yeah. Did, did that kind of set in stone things you believed, or did it cause turmoil? No, it, it set in stone. Established you more in, in what you believed. I'm not, not a stranger to death. Yeah. But that was, that was different. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was not a wasted life. No, she was the, the most selfless person I know. Never get, She never made a show of it either, right? Like you wouldn't have recognized all she did. She just did it yeah. without complaining, without whining about stuff. <laughs> never asked for anything. Yeah. Pretty content. Cool. Anyway, we should shift from shift gears on that. That's that's too hard to talk about. Um, uh, your dad might tell that story a little better. <laughs> you can have him on next. Yeah, I've been I've been bugging him. We'll have to we'll have to do it. Yeah. So speaking of generations, you guys tried having children for a number of years. Move on to the next sensitive <laughs> yeah. topic. <laughs> next sensitive topic. Let's go. Yeah, we we tried. Almost 
Not right away. Um, Emily wanted it sooner than I did. I figured she should at least get through college first. Yeah. Um, little did I know she was kind of looking for an excuse to drop out. Yeah. It would have been perfect for her, but she finished her degree and went to work, and we tried. Um, after, I would say, a year and a half or so, we sought professional help, and then we we did, I think, five rounds of IUI total from 20, probably 18 to 20, um, maybe even into the beginning of 21. So a couple years at least. I remember doing an IUI while we had Jackson. Okay. Um, as you know, And you've Jackson. had him for? We've had him since December 27th of 2020. Okay. So yeah, would have been early 2021. That's cool. Yeah. So after a number of years of trying, you realized there was complications for health reasons and things like that? Or was there never there's, a real clear there's diagnosis? There never a real clear answer. Um, they said my sperm was weak, but shouldn't have been a problem. Um, they say she's extremely fertile, but it still never worked. Hmm. So I, I think it was a blessing to us because we, at least I wasn't ready for kids at that age. Like I real, I grew up a lot in the last probably three or four years. I don't think anybody's ready for kids when they come. No one, no. <laughs> Even, yeah. I, well, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Just your perspective and everything on life uh -huh. is more valuable now. Like, you'd, you'd be a better dad now than you would have then, perhaps. Yeah. I believe that 100%. How, how like, you, you have nothing to compare it to because um, Jackson is not your biological son. Mm hmm But for me, the moment I laid eyes on Hallie, it just, everything transformed. I'm like... I have a weight now. I have a responsibility. It's like this is something real. I am a dad. I need I this child is dependent upon me for physical need, for mm -hmm. spiritual teaching, for instruction, for training, all that kind of stuff. Was the same like hit there with Jackson? No, it was it was more gradual because you didn't know. I didn't know if he was going to stay with us. Yeah. I just knew that he was there right now. Yeah. Um, but so you it, went through the whole foster to adopt thing? Yeah. So after mom died, we'd been talking about it for a long time, but um, after mom died, I was off of work for like two weeks afterwards to help dad move into the, the house they had built together. Um, and for funeral, obviously, everything, obviously. And so during that two-week period, we said, all right, let's pull the trigger sign up for the foster. Okay, I didn't realize it was right at that same time. Yeah, the process is so long mm -hmm. that it wasn't probably for like another year that people started to find out mm -hmm. that we had signed up. Um, and then we, we didn't even get a call until end of 2020. Hmm. Jackson was, I think, I think he was our second call. I feel like we had one more, but the child was older than what we wanted to mm -hmm. start with. So he was the second call we got, and we picked him up. Emily went to the hospital. He, he was, was a newborn, newborn. He was right? nine days old when she went to the hospital. <laughs> she spent the night with him, and I picked them up the next day. And he was, 
Emily will know the exact weight, but I think he was like five and a half pounds. Yeah. He was tiny. Really tiny. Um, but born addicted to drugs. There's like a million reasons he shouldn't be here today. Yeah. And even more reasons that he shouldn't be as perfect as he is. Like he should be unhealthy. He should say he should be like a vegetable. He should be, but he's perfectly normal. Twenty-one, almost twenty-one month old. Walking around, walking playing. around, chatting up a storm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, you guys went through a few really tough years, hoping for, wishing, you know, anticipating, yeah. and then the medical treatments, trying desperately to get pregnant. It was uh, I. I can't identify. Right. But I know that the I've heard young women, especially, really lament those years when they just like they can't they can't cope with it. Like it's really difficult to to go through those things, right? When you're trying desperately to become parents. We bought a dog. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it was it was our coping mechanism. We needed something to take care of. Yeah. And I needed something to be home when I got home, and she was working a night shift or an okay. afternoon shift, and it was really good for us. Yeah. And we still have him and we still love him. There but you go. He's second priority now. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> what, what advice or um, help would you give to young couples maybe that are struggling that way? It sucks. It's hard to find someone that can understand and walk with you. You guys, Did you guys find someone? Not as many as, not as much as we had, would have liked. A lot of people can't really identify. They right? can't relate, but we've become that to others. To others, really, in some ways. Yeah, not like insanely close, but there's a few people that I think about. On a, well, even on a just regular basis that are struggling. With yeah, it. I was just gonna say, even if you can just send a message to somebody every now and then and say, look, we know where you're at. We see that you're struggling. Uh, you know, many people are not noticing, but we we do notice, right? Yeah, I almost feel guilty now though because I have my son. Yeah, I can't just tell everyone to go foster to adopt because it doesn't work. I I, I probably would have told myself not to do it if I had known what the system was like. If I had known what the system grueling. was like and didn't know that I was going to get Jackson, I would say don't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's not still not the ideal way to get children. No. But it works. But it works. Miraculously, yeah. things are good, good the way that they are. Yeah. Yeah, a what, lot lined up for him. Why would you say not to do it? The system doesn't care about the kids. And they, they give so much to the biological parents. And it, it hurts the kids, and it's really hard to watch. Like, they'll they'll send really abused kids back to biological parents. They'll again do and that, again. and they'll give them, like, visits. Um, we had one where we had six visits a week. There were two days a week where this child would have back-to-back visits, but the visits were far enough apart that sh- they would send the child home between them so you're all you're doing is dealing with visits well emily had to stay home all day she couldn't leave five days or four days out of a five-day week because the driver was going to come pick up the child Mm. did you have that with jackson some too we um had scheduled visits and emily didn't want to leave him alone with someone 
So she decided she was going to drive him to every visit. Every single visit, the parents didn't show up. So after a while, they just canceled them. I see. And so he's he hasn't seen his biological parents since he left or they left the hospital. Wow. Well, I see. Which is a huge blessing to us. Yeah. Made it a lot easier. So when when did you recognize that this is actually my son? Or when um, did it start feeling like this is my responsibility? I think it was probably, it was pretty early on. Um, we realized you we were going to have him for a while, like he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. We got put in contact with his biological grandmother um, and we had met them and uh, eventually they agreed to let us keep him. Okay. So when, when we kind of were more stable in knowing that he wasn't leaving us, I think that was when it clicked for me. Like, this is, this is my son. He's my responsibility. Now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen a lot of people become dads and it doesn't really phase them. They just, yeah, okay, I've got a kid. That's my kid. I mean, they, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't phase them. They obviously love their children. I'm not criticizing people for it. But it made a pretty drastic impact on you, mm-hmm. where you were like, I've got to do things differently. You want to tell us about that? Um, it's, it's, what, did it, what did it affect the most, perhaps? My relationship with technology. Okay. I was a smartphone addict. Like um, 99% of us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as soon as we started dating, Emily told me, you're, you're on your phone too much. You're on your phone too much. Um, you're missing You're missing life. And I didn't really do anything about it. I tried to be on it less when I was around her because I know she knew, she noticed. Yeah. Um, but it took like three wake-up calls to ditch it. Mom yeah, I was just going to say it, but before you share okay. those three things, um, the Bible says that God dealeth with us as with sons, and He chastens every son whom He loves. Right, mm-hmm. and so if if you do not receive chastisement from the Father, the Book of Hebrews says, then you're bastards and no sons. So to me, this is interesting. You told me about this before, and that's why I wanted to qualify that. Like when when you are God's son. He does chasten you. He comes after you. He deals with you. And so you had three things that felt very much to you like they were connected to, obviously, to all of your life, but they kind of hit on these three moments where you, or these, this one thing where you felt like you were being too distracted. Yeah. So, first one was mom dying. Uh, there's just so many regrets. Like, how many times was I in the same room as her doing this? Where you could have spent a little more time actually seeing her and talking to her. Yeah. And then uh, I did a, a long motorcycle ride in the rain from Chatham to Windsor. Just barely had your license or not even? I was going for my M2. That's right. I was, so I was on my way back from my M2, but I hadn't finished the, the test. I finished half of it. Um, there was like mixed up in understanding and I went to the wrong place and waited for the instructor in the wrong spot so they were gonna reschedule it and I was like three blocks from home when I ran a red light and got t-boned t-boned on a motorbike on a motorbike the guy was probably only doing about 10 oh 
like he had just left the the line at the stoplight um like so much so much of that went just right for me to not or for me to could have broken today. bones for sure I at least yeah i could have been dead because i was probably doing 55 60 through that intersection yeah if he had been a second earlier i would hit the side of his car and gone over, right over. but it was i i consider myself very lucky took a black kia to the left leg didn't break anything hmm. um, it was raining and i was wearing snow pants and a, a winter jacket the water was the perfect lubricant i barely slide across i still have that jacket and i still wear it oh, wow but the, the snow pants were a goner yeah um and then i slid up onto the, the spot where the crosswalk comes down so i i didn't hit the curb and break my right. collarbone and i was wearing a full face helmet and the jawline was just destroyed yeah. so the fact that i'm here and not missing my face that could have been a life changer for sure it could have been but like when that happened did your mind immediately go to no it got worse i got more addicted to my phone really i was like in this like depression almost but like there was there hints at those moments where like this is god trying to tell you something here emily told me (laughs) she's like you're more distracted than ever and then the final blow was Emily was making dinner. I just came home from work. I figured I'd lay on the floor in the living room and play with Jackson. And then my addiction came in and I started watching a video on YouTube. And then Jackson wanted to see what was so important. So he's grabbing at my phone and I got mad at him. Like, Stop touching it. And then I realized like, if he, he wants to see what's so important, because he's it's not obviously important right it's more important than him right to me and that just broke me yeah and then like i think it was probably two days later i went to walmart and asked the sales associate in the electronics department for a flip phone <laughs> i got like the most dumbfounded look i've ever seen we don't even sell those <laughs> they had one they had one model so i bought it and i used it for six months in in the year 2020 or 2021 that would have been uh, 2021. 2021. Folks, it's possible yep. to live with a flip phone in the 2020s. <laughs> I, I, I still have it in my drawer if anyone wants to try the challenge. I got six two months. of them actually. Yeah, take the six months. And, month and now you went out. back to uh, a smartphone, but there's like almost no apps on it. You want to pick up your mic and drop oh. it a little bit. It's down here. Where is it? Oh, yeah. It recorded well the whole time. I didn't notice till now. Yeah, so I used the the flip phone for six months, and then I'm on a I'm back on an iPhone, but not really. No data. I have I have 500 megabytes of data for GPS and picture messaging and stuff like that. I still exceed that, but that's neither here nor there. I I can take pictures. I can use my banking app, um, and like. Spotify for podcasts and music, but I don't have I don't even have my Safari app. No WhatsApp. That. No what Facebook. No Instagram. No I don't Twitter. even. I don't even have an Instagram account. Yeah. Um, I have a Facebook account with like three friends that I use for church groups and marketplace. That's, that is crazy. How much like 
I think of coffee, for instance. Almost all of us drink coffee, mm-hmm. and we don't realize that it's a it's a bit of an addiction. I would say it's more than a bit. Yeah, I, yeah. but it's not like it's not harming anybody. You're just drinking it, whatever. You know, you, you feel good drinking it, and it tastes good, and it's enjoyable. And it's not like it's a, a sin. You know, it's just a thing that you do, right? Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, you go off coffee, and you're like, oh boy, that, I need coffee, right? You need to get headaches and stuff like that. But something like pornography, obviously very destructive to your family, to your friends, to yourself. It's a sin against your own body, the Bible says. And then cell phone addiction, which all of us struggle with. Like this thing is always with me. I answer it really quickly. I'm always on things and I I use it to try to share the gospel on YouTube and Facebook. And and I'm always checking for updates and whatever else. And it can very easily be a distraction. Mm-hmm. I, I could confess to some of the same stuff. There's times when I'm in the room with my family, but I'm not there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it is destroying relationships. It is getting in the way of things. And so to see it as a, an addiction and deal with it as an addiction is probably pretty smart, right? Like, yeah. it's get off of it completely. So yeah. what, well, how has that changed things? Um, I feel like I'm able to have conversations with people that I wasn't able to. Um, other people's smartphone addictions drive me around the bend. You can now. see them all the time. It, now, it's right? everywhere and I just want to like smash phones on a regular. <laughs> I won't do that because I can't afford to replace them. But. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed it ever since I heard someone say that um, sometimes you're with somebody and I've, I'm guilty of this as well. You'll get a message or a phone call and you'll be like, I'll get this later. But just the very fact that I picked it up and mm-hmm. checked to see what it was is telling you that had it been somebody really important, they would have taken precedent over you. Yeah. But now by me saying, I'll do this later, I'm acting as if you're more important than that person. But it's, it's constantly getting in the way. And now yeah. if, if you do that with your family, we, I didn't, I've tried to do it very uh, consistently, even just a simple family mealtime. Like at mealtime, even if it rings or whatever, I just leave it. Like it's, we're having supper, it doesn't have to be answered right now, right? Mm-hmm. And that's at least a start to, to not be constantly be distracted by it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still, I still check my phone more than I need to, but it's significantly less than it used to be. But to tie this back to where I started this, this train of thought was you recognized you have a weight, you have a responsibility, you have a son now to raise, and you have to be present. Uh, I remember once years ago when we first had, we had probably three kids, yeah, and then a friend of mine had their first, and I was telling him, just raise your kids on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it clicked to me as I said it, I'm like, most people don't raise their kids on purpose. No. They just, their kids raise up in their house. They grow up under their tutelage to some degree, but they're not, they don't have an actual vision. They're not actually saying, I'm going to raise my child for a purpose. I'm not saying, like, be that obsessive hockey parent where my child's going to be a hockey player. But I mean, like, purposely pour into them, purposely mm. recognize this is now my highest priority. My wife, obviously, God my wife my family the church those are my priorities i'm going to pour into them first and when i when i became a christian we it was just after we had hallie and i immediately recognized that i have to completely alter everything I, i'm pouring into a human being now an eternal soul is in my hands so to speak right mm-hmm. and the, the the fate and if you want to use that word of this child is up to is in my my care right? my responsibility so to me, it seems very evident that you felt that there was like, no, I can't, 
I'm, I'm too distracted to do a good job at this. Yeah. Yeah. And like that whole period started around the time when he was like 11 months old. So you so had him for a while already. I, ha- I often wonder like how much did I miss already? That's 10, 11 months. I'll never get back. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to think about that way because everybody justifies their addictions, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not that bad. Or I don't check it as much as somebody else does. Right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Have you uh, shared this with other people? Have you helped people to kind of break free from it? Nobody that I've challenged has taken the challenge yet okay. to go to a flip phone. Um, most a lot of people need it for work and I understand that yeah um, what they do with it outside of work is their business right for sure and it's yeah it's, if you have it on you you're gonna use it yeah yeah I remember um, before and after you did that I had considered doing it as well and I was already doing all these YouTube videos and all that I'm like I could do it somehow still I could record with this camera yeah. or I could somehow still do what I do without having it on me all the time but it is obviously used for work quite a bit too and emails and phone calls and yeah. I mean phone calls I could do right but there's I'm a, sure I could make it work somehow. there's a lot of influencers that do it it's it was trendy yeah. for especially 2020 I remember even like a, a Tim Tim Ferris oh yeah very very famous guy he says he his phone is on airplane mode like I forget what he said, like 18 or 19 hours of the day, like two or three hours where it's even accessible to him. Then he'll check, you know, 15 minutes of this, done. I'm, I'm not on it anymore. I'm yeah. not, not going to be scrolling mindlessly. Right? And that's the biggest problem. Yeah. And they, they recognize that by making these phones, like even the whole, you know, what's the slot machines at casinos? They recognize how addictive that is for people. Yeah. That's how they make these apps, right? You just keep pulling it down and you get some more stuff. TikTok is the worst. That's what I've heard. I, like, I've watched a couple of videos on TikTok's purpose. It's to destroy North America. Yeah. It's Chinese. But probably. all the other apps are following you. Like, yeah, uh, because they have to compete. Yeah. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. They all have that same feature now where they short little reels, mm-hmm. to, you know, three thirty second one. And minute. yeah, the, the whole trick is to not give you something really good every time. It's like have a really good video okay. followed by like three uh, meh and then randomly another one so like you get the dopamine hit instead of staying up there. like they've actually got it down to a science it is a science just like casinos are a science it's literally a casino. Uh, I, did you watch that documentary called the social dilemma yeah they really expose what's actually happening on yeah. there right because they're and on social media platforms, you and I are the product. They're selling mm-hmm. us, right? They're selling us to the market, to the corporations and all that kind of stuff. So it's crazy. They're collecting all your data, collecting all your information, and selling it, and then they advertise directly to you. Like your advertisements are personalized and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I Yeah, I did watch a video on TikTok. It's apparently so much worse than all the others. It's like comparing a cup of water to the ocean. Like, they're not just seeing what you're engaging with. They're seeing what you look at after you leave the app. They're looking at your keyboard strokes. They're gaining access to your keyboard, everything. Everything. Like, if you sneeze, China knows about it because of TikTok. And they're they're just documenting everything. everything. They've got every pot, and that's never going anywhere, right? No. Like, your information is going to be there for Yeah, full it's time. gone forever. It's there forever. Yeah. Crazy. 
crazy world. And it doesn't seem dangerous to kids, right? They're just like, whatever. Kids are the ones I'm most terrified for. Yeah. Like, I see what it does to adults with fully developed brains. Yeah. Well, I think your, your generation, mine for sure, and maybe your generation even, is kind of like the last generation that was raised without smartphones. Mm-hmm. I got my first smartphone when I was like 20... No, I was, I was late 20s. So I had a cell phone at early 20s. So before that, just landlines. Mm-hmm. And then a smartphone in my late 20s. And so I kind of transitioned from being a normal person that could actually look at people and have a conversation to then finally getting a cell phone. Yeah. And so we've restricted our kids' cell phone use very severely. They get they have phones, you know, at a really decent at, at a pretty decently young age, but they're just Wi-Fi only. They can use them at home. They're not going to be at their friend's place on their phone constantly and all that kind of stuff. Just because we're trying to almost replay my generation in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Where realize what life is like without one first and then slowly learn it because it's not going anywhere no so they need to somehow cope with it at some point in life right so that's an interesting challenge that we're going to face now too how do you teach your kids to use it but not get used by it yeah my first full-time like my first phone was an iphone oh really i was well it was my 17th birthday present (laughs) my dad's old iphone he got a new one and i got his old one yeah and then they paid my bill for a year. And jumped right into an addiction. Yeah. Well, and back then it was different because I did data was too expensive to have. So I didn't have data. So I couldn't be doing all of this out in public when I was like hanging out with friends. Right. But Why, how that has changed. It, it quickly picked picked up the pace. Yeah. I know you thought about uh, doing this conversation for a while. We've, con- we've, you know, talked about it many, probably like a year ago. Yeah. What What did you think you wanted to say? Is there something that you were really kind of thinking? This is something I'd like to talk about. I think we covered all the bases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the smartphone was like a big one that I yeah. wanted to touch on. Just because I know that there's so many people that struggle with it, and I figured if they saw someone in their demographic i hope people receive it it as a challenge right like you can live life normally Mm -hmm. still i find myself now um when i'm not with lisa i take pictures to share with lisa so i'm just like even or even when i'm with her i'm taking pictures to remember it by and i'm like when do you ever look at those pictures and i've i've heard about people you know you took the picture but you kind of missed the moment right Mm. so now you can look back on that picture, but there was no moment to go along with yeah. it, right? So yeah, I take pictures sometimes, but I try to live in the moment, and yeah. I miss some. It's just you can't do both. Yeah. So sure. try to take fewer pictures and have more moments. Uh, lastly, if you don't mind, what's uh, your future as far as ministry, serving? What do you think you and Emily will be doing, say five, ten years from now? probably deacon yeah I was terrified of deacon I almost felt like it was inevitable and it kind of scared like the responsibility scared me but I think that's just the idea of ministering for the leadership ministering Mm -hmm. to the church and that kind of thing taking care of whatever needs to be taken care of or what do you see that position as just that yeah Um, being the tool where it's needed. Mm-hmm. 
If you want me to be a pickaxe, I'll be a pickaxe. Yeah, I think the um, in Acts chapter 9, is it? I might be getting my chapters, probably 6, where the first seven are ordained. We assume that they were ordained to be deacons, right? But mm. the apostles were preaching the word, and then they said, well, should we leave off preaching the word so we can go serve tables? You know, ordain from among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost and tell them to take care of these things, right? And a couple of those men went on to be preachers, Stephen and Philip, right? They preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, and Stephen was stoned uh, for preaching the gospel. He was full of the Holy Ghost and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in the book of Timothy, he says that the deacons who serve well purchase to themselves a great reward or a great degree, something like that. So um, a lot of times people who are willing to serve do anything like they're willing to serve tables willing to uh, clean toilets if need be willing to serve in whatever ministry is there behind the scenes constantly the, the word deacon basically means minister right you're willing to be a servant often uh, comes along with more spiritual weight eventually too mm -hmm. right the the need to share the gospel the the understanding of the word and both living in a certain, you know, meeting the criteria, the qualifications of Acts, I mean, First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and Titus, where he gives the qualifications of elders or bishops and deacons, right? And so if you live according to those conditions, you're willing to do the service and all that kind of stuff, it, it's, it's going to be a huge head start for other types of ministries as well, right? So, and I, I find for myself that you can become pretty stale if you're not serving in some way, right? Where mm -hmm. you're just like, yeah, whatever. But once you need to share, once you need to teach, once you need to help out, then you're you're examining yourself, you're studying the scriptures, you're more ready to, to serve and minister that way. So yeah. hopefully that goes well for you. Thanks. Is that a potential already? Um, no one's brought it up to me okay. yet, but I feel like I'm being prepared for it. Just by the people How does I'm your associated church with? function in that way? Is there a, an elder board? Or is it elders and deacons together? Yeah, um, yeah there are elders and deacons, um, but there's like an elder board, I think. And then one head pastor? Uh, yeah, a head pastor and a, another pastor as well. Okay. Um, he takes care of a lot of stuff behind the scenes, like all of our, all of our online services and stuff that's all handled by him. Okay. He oversees the worship ministry and the audio video side of it. Very nice. And he's also my landlord. Oh, really? <laughs> so you're uh, you're pretty close with them then? You guys talk with them a fair bit? And... A decent amount, yeah. 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 Right on. I'm, I'd say I'm closer with the lead pastor. I see him more often. Okay. Do you have him uh, actually mentoring or teaching you on the side at all, or is it just a church Sunday morning? The Thursday kind of morning groups. Oh yeah, he's part of that. Yeah, he, you he still go into that. Yeah, every Thursday morning, like, unless I'm out of town, I'm there. Hmm. Go before work. Right on. And um, his his son is my agent. He's also in there. Where we become quite close. Right on. So you got a community now to raise your child in. Yep. And you're happily married, and you're free from pornography. Yeah. Free from cell phone addiction. <laughs> working still a work in progress but mostly yes but life is good yeah, life is good amen yeah anything to add um no i think the next like the next step in life is 
hopefully business ownership uh, mechanic yeah I want to bring repair and detailing under the same roof you were talking for a while about doing that on a mobile yeah platform. I would I was actually very close I had ordered a van but decided I wasn't quite ready for it and realized there's like if it's a mobile business it's just me I'm creating my own job it's not a business oh I see what you're so saying so I want to I want to start out small but eventually add to the team okay Emily's um, developed uh, an interest and she wants to be my apprentice she wants to learn mechanics yeah there you go. Learn to, she wants to learn how to fix and detail cars too there you go I when I say best friend, I literally mean best friend. Like we do everything together. She wanted to pick up longboarding last weekend or yep. two weekends ago. <laughs> so we sat in a parking lot and I let her hold me for 45 minutes. By the end, she was all pushing off on her own. Very and nice. now it's like one of her favorite things to do. Well, I mean, there's no better foundation for your son than loving his mom. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of a lot of times men miss that, right? They're so consumed with business, or so consumed with ministry, so consumed with their business, or like career, or whatever it might be, yeah. or even obsessed with their children. Sometimes trying to raise their children a certain way yeah. that they neglect the mom, right? And yeah. it's that is the foundation of the family is the husband and wife, right? Yeah. And when the children move away and move on, your wife remains, right? So you know, years ago, a friend of mine asked me. He was he thought it was like a trick question that I'd have to really stumble over we just had a couple of kids at the time and he said okay crazy scenario your wife and your daughter are both in a terrible situation you can only save one of them who do you save and i without even missing a beat i said i saved my wife he's like what how can you say that like I, it's not that i don't love my daughter i would die for her in a heartbeat like i know that i would but my wife's my soulmate she's the one that gave me this child She's the one who has promised to love me and to honor me and to serve me for the rest of her life. She's the, she willingly gave up her last name and became a Blatz. Like, my child is just the fruit of our love that we have for each other. So my child is going to grow up and become her own person and get married and moved on and all that kind of stuff. My wife is the one I live with for life. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the best way to love your children. Some people think they need to just neglect their spouse, and they don't think this, but they neglect their spouse to try to love their child when the, what the child needs most is you to prioritize your spouse, right? And that's easy to miss. When you yeah. look at the gospel, the picture of the gospel is Christ loving the church, the uh, husband loving his wife, giving himself for his wife. And out of that, you have the idea of children obey your parents and the Lord and all that, that comes after. But you want to have a good marriage, a good family, a good foundation for family, it starts with prioritizing the marriage mm -hmm. and even even to the point where your kids would would see like i would when the kids were young i would tell them that you know i love your mom more than you guys right like i would make it clear like you guys should know your mom <laughs> is more important to me than you guys are and it, they knew i was joking they knew i was being sarcastic but they also knew it was true right and that's i think that's priority so that's cool that you guys are fast friends yeah we do yeah we do everything together and plan everything together. Right on.